thinking about that, and the only reason as I'm going through there, you know, some of us have minds that work in these little weird and wonderful ways. They don't kind of work like in a straight line. They kind of bounce all around. And anyhow, it got me thinking about, you know, lawn chairs. I have a garage. I have a two-car garage. And in fact, it's the first time in my life I have ever owned one of those garages that you actually have a garage door on that you close. And it is fabulous. Can I just say, there's something about being able to drive up to a garage and push a button and the garage door opens up for you. I mean, whoever thought of that, he deserves every million he's made, okay? It is an absolutely wonderful thing. However, there's something about my garage that is a little bit not unlike probably your garage. I have a two-car garage designed for two cars, I have kept one side sort of open to where I can kind of squeeze the one car in. Holly's car gets that pride of position. And then if there's a hurricane, well, my car's not going in, and so it's gonna have to sit out in the hurricane. Because as most of us, we have a two-car garage that is designed for what? Cars and stuff. (laughs) Junk. And if your garage is anything like my garage, this is sort of what it looks like. If you walk out into my garage, and and I usually don't open the door to my garage, so if you come over home group, I try to keep that kind of closed because you don't want to see in there. What you see when you open up is there is a pile, and, and I mean that quite literally. There's a pile of stuff. And in my garage, there's a pile of of stuff, and it usually starts with my tools that I haven't quite found a way to fit onto the shelf, or I started putting them on the shelf and I started to organize the shelf and so I pulled it all off the shelf and the shelf sits empty and my tools are on the floor. But I've got shelves out there. I've got all my tools spread out everywhere. I've got got spare lumber. Now, if you are are like I am, I I love wood. I'm a guy who, who just, I can't throw wood away and so if I think I might be able to find a purpose for it later, I put it into a pile and I save it. And I look for a use for it later, even though 10 years later, it's still in that same pile. That's not the point. I might find a use for it one day. I have boxes from my last move that are still sitting in my garage unpacked that I haven't had the opportunity to go through yet. I've got furniture. Some of it I'm planning on getting rid of it, and some of it I'm planning on repairing, and I don't have any other place for it, so it's in the garage. I have spare remodeling stuff. You know, this, when you start painting and you got buckets of paint, I've got spare tiles from where I retiled the floor. I've got little bits and pieces of gyprock or drywall. I've got stuff. And I mean, if I was to go out there, it just, it never ends. Fishing tackle stuff. I've got all the stuff, and it just goes on. It's gotten to the point where if I go out there and look too long, I get this sort of depressed feeling. (laughs) There's this anxiety that begins to build up because the stuff begins to get a little overwhelming. And so lately my wife has been encouraging me very nicely to say, hey, maybe it's time you start cleaning up your stuff, getting your junk cleared out. And so I have begun the long, tedious process of cleaning up my garage. 
Now, most of us have that place, don't we? I mean, it's not necessarily the garage. Some of you guys have a shed out the back, okay? You guys have my dream. You have the shed out the back where you put your stuff in. And so when you open up your shed door, what do you see? Your stuff, your junk piled high. Some of you have the garage like I do. Some of you have the closet where you open that closet door and the stuff, you kind of look at it and you kind of panic and you close that closet door again real quick. Some of you have that drawer. You know the drawer I'm talking about, the one that collects everything that you don't know what to do with it, so you open it up and you put it in the drawer, never to find it again. Usually the stuff that goes into the drawer, it's like, it's lost. But we all have that place, and the reality is is that we can kind of contain it because what do we do with it? Well, we can close it, don't we? We, we, we can kind of put it out of sight, out of mind. And so we have this place of our lives that we, we've got this spot where we can take the junk and we throw it in there and we close it and we contain it and we don't have to see it. And it's fine when it is a shed, when it's a garage. It's fine when it's a closet. It's fine when it's a drawer that you can close and you can contain. But what happens when that gets a little bit closer to home? What if that place is our lives? What happens when that place that becomes the store-all or the collect-all is our own soul? We can't simply just close the door and walk away, can we? Most all of us have gone through battles. Most all of us have gone through situations. Most, Most all of us have gone through times of our lives that have really hurt They've beaten us up. And we take these moments of our lives and we, in a sense, shove them into the garage of our life and we try to close the door on it. We don't really want to see it. We don't want to experience it. We don't want to feel it anymore. So we take these feelings, we take these emotions, and we shove it into the garage of our life. And as much as we can, we close the door. Now, depending upon your age will depend upon how much stuff you've got in your garage, right? Those of us who are getting older, we have a whole lot more stuff in our garage than those of you who are just starting off. Most of us who are kind of hit well above the 40 mark have got a really good collection of tools and really good collection of stuff we're hanging on to. And the same is true in our lives. The older we get, the more stuff we cram into the closet or the garage of our life. It probably started when you were a kid when someone started bullying you. Teased you and, you know, just about your hair, about the way you looked, about, about the clothes you wore, and you took that stuff, that junk, and you shoved it in the closet of your life and you closed the door on it because you don't want to deal with it. The older you got as you began to experience other things, as you began to experience rejection, maybe rejection from a friend, maybe it was a divorce. And we shoved it into a closet and we closed the door. As you get, went through a bankruptcy, as you, as you lost pets, as you lost loved ones, we shoved those emotions and those feelings and we put it in the closet of our life or the garage of our life and we close that door as tight as we can. We're hoping that no one ever goes and looks into our garage, right? If you come to my house, I don't show you. I show you around my house and, and look at, hey, here, come, come to my kitchen. Let me show you my espresso machine. Here's all my coffee cups. Let me show you that. 
But I don't usually take you to my garage and say, let me show you my garage. You know why? Because it's not a place that I'm proud of. The same is true in our lives. That stuff that we begin to pack into, that we push into, that we cram into the closet of our life or to the garage of our life that we try to close the door on, we don't stop and take people in and say, hey, let me come show you this. It hurts. It's painful. It's private. It's no one's business but my own. The only problem is, is I don't know about you, but my garage sometimes gets to a point that as I try to get into the car, there's stuff begins to get in the way of the car, the garden tools that I kind of stuck in the path. It gets to be a place where I don't have any room to put another box up on top. Or as I'm trying to put, get to the tools and stuff begins to spill out and over. You see, the same is true in our lives that as the more we try to push in, it sometimes doesn't stay in there anymore. It kind of falls out, comes out. There is an indication, and if you're not sure if you've got stuff in your closet or in your garage that you need to start cleaning out of your life, here's some indications that you may look at to say, hey, is there something in my life that I need to kind of clean up? Well, let's just put it like this. Number one, if you have people avoiding you, it might be just that you're crazy, or number two, it might mean you have stuff you need to clean up. Usually it's number two, isn't it? Number two, if you get angry for someone else doing what you do, uh, you've probably got stuff in your closet you need to clean up. Number three, if the very thought of someone sets your emotions on edge, it makes you angry, it causes you to hyperventilate, I've been there. It means you probably have stuff you need to clean up in your life. If there is something that you are trying to hide from other people, it means you probably got something you need to clean up. If you ever get to a point where you actually stop caring about others, you've probably got stuff in your life you need to clean up. The reality is, is that there is so many more things we could talk about, but, but we can recognize some of these symptoms, can't we? When we come in contact with someone and they won't look at us in the eye, when we get angry because of something they're doing, even though I know that I do it myself. When I stop and I try to hide things from people, I don't want my family to know. I don't want my friends to know what I'm doing. When we get to that place that I no longer care about someone, we've got stuff in our lives that we're needing to clean out. It's beginning to overflow. So where do you start? When we come to that closet, when we come to that garage, where do you start? Now, I know... When I look into the garage that I, at home, it becomes literally overwhelming. And sometimes as I look at it, I, I don't know where to start. What do I do? I'm going to go over this for two Sundays, and we're going to look at this. We're going to start with number one today, and then we're going to go next week. We're going to kind of continue this a bit more. But we're going to start with today, we're going to say it starts with this idea of ownership. Who owns your garage? 
Who owns your life? And so we're going to start with this idea, the simple idea that it's going to start with ownership. And then I'm going to actually give you something practical, okay? So I'm going to start with you a little theological perspective because I think it is so important that we understand what we do is determined by who it belongs to. So at home, you know why I don't really care about my garage that much? Because I own it. It's mine. That garage belongs to me. So any stuff that I have, I go out there and I just dump it in there because I'm not concerned because I have the right to go and close the door and to lock it, don't I? So when you come to my house, I have the right to say, oh no, we're not going out to the garage today. Because it's mine. It belongs to me. I have the right to keep that garage door closed and I have the right to open it. Now, my junk, I do not take it and go put it into my neighbor's garage. He's got a pretty nice one too, by the way. And I'm sure I have enough that I could fill up his garage as well as mine. But I don't do that. Why don't I do that? Because it's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. You see, ownership, whoever owns it, has the right to say what belongs in the garage of our life. Makes sense to me. I have the right to say whose car gets parked in my garage. I have the right to fill it up. So ownership begins to determine who can do what in my garage. If I rent the house. So for those of you who are landlords... And you understand this concept, don't you? There are certain things you allow your tenants to do and there are certain things you don't allow your tenants to do. And if you ask your tenant to clean up a certain part, you expect what? For them to clean up a certain part. Why is that? Because you are the owner. You have the right. And out of respect, you expect the tenant to do as the owner requires. If I am renting a house and an owner comes to me and he says, James, uh, the garage is, is getting to a place where um, you need to do something with it. The rats are beginning to build nests in there and uh, we need to do something with it. Out of respect to the owner, I should do what? Clean up the garage. You see, when it comes to our lives, we're told, and we began to look at last week this idea that when Jesus Christ came, he came to do what? Well, he came to set me free from my poor choices and the decisions I make. We kind of understood that. We kind of get this idea. He, he set me free. He took those decisions and he put them on himself and he covered it with himself. And he says, I'm not going to see you when I look at you. I'm going to see my son who died for you. I'm going to set you free. You're not going to pay those consequences. I will pay that consequence for you. And so we began to look at that idea, but what Jesus did for us actually goes beyond simply this idea of a forgiveness. In fact, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he goes on and gives us this idea, and he says this, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? and was given to you by God, you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. 
So we're begin to told, be told this idea. I probably have said that too much begin, right? I could just cut that out a moment. So we're told that our, our identity no longer belongs to ourselves. Our identity is now where? It is found in him. The idea of being set free was this act that says, I no longer hold this to your account, but I cover you and I now have purchased you. He changed who we belong to. He changed who controls us. He tells us that we're placed within his family. Who we are should reflect the one who paid the ultimate price for us. How we act and what we say says who we are controlled by. So when the stuff of my life, when the stuff of my garage begins to take control of my life, we begin to have a problem, don't we? When that becomes the emotions of my life, we begin to say, hey, I'm no longer being controlled or been set free. I'm now being controlled by the junk of my garage. When others don't like to be around us, when we're trying to hide from others who we are, when we're not respecting the one who paid the ultimate price for us, it tells others that I am not set free, that I am bound to my garage. So cleaning up both our mess begins with this idea of ownership. Who owns us? When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, were you simply hoping for someone to just come and and say, yeah, I don't no longer look at you anymore. He says, that's not what I came for. I came to set you free. Here's the good news. As we look at this idea of ownership, here's the good news, though. A messed up life, a filled up garage, an overflowing garage, does not mean he walks away from us. When our lives are so messed up and when we cannot get our lives under control like we should, he does not walk away and he does not abandon us. His desire for you and his desire for me is to set us free. We're told that when I accepted Jesus Christ, he paid that price. He forgave all my sins, my past. Well, I get that. Everything I did, he forgave. But do we understand that when he says he forgave our sins, it was also he forgave my sin, which also deals with my present sin. That where I find myself at the moment, when I know I'm sh- doing what I know I shouldn't do, he forgives. And when he looks off into the future and he sees my sin, he has forgiven. Now, That concept really blows our mind because I can understand him forgiving my past. Okay, I've turned from that. I repented. I turned from. But he deals with this idea that he forgives us of our sin, our past, our present, and our future. He doesn't throw us out. He doesn't abandon us because we continue to find our lives messed up. You see... What he did was not try to put us into a manipulative relationship where he's trying to 
to do something to us and torture us. But the relationship that he calls us into, this idea that he calls us to himself and he pays a price for us to set us free, is one so that we can go to bed at night and lay our head on our pillows with no guilt, with no shame. This means that though God's desire for my life is to reflect who he is, it means when I fail, he does not throw me out. I'm so thankful for that. His love is bigger than any mistake I have ever made. His love is bigger than any mistake I will ever make. In fact, he goes on to tell us, so you see, as we were looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 just a moment ago, we looked at this idea where he talks about how he owns us. But he also deals with this idea, not just that he owns us, but he deals in 1 chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. We're reminded of this. And so here's how he says it. He says, you say I'm allowed to do anything. All right, if God has forgiven my past, God has forgiven my present, God has forgiven my future. That means I can do what? If he's not gonna ever throw me out, if he's not going to ever abandon me, what does that mean? That means I can do anything, right? So Paul says, yeah, well, that's kind of true. He's not gonna abandon you. Because you make a mistake, because you, you have blown it, he's not throwing you out. In fact, he says this. You say, I'm allowed to do anything. But let me remind you of this, Paul says. Not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. And then he goes, you say, food was made for the stomach and stomach for the food. This is true. So someday God will do away with both of them. So what Paul is trying to bring back is this idea, yeah, it's true. He will never abandon you. He will never leave you. You will always be his. But here's the reality. Even though he is never gonna leave me, even though he's never gonna abandon me, his desire, though, is that we become like him. And there is going to come a day when Paul says, and someday God's going to do away with both of them. In other words, you will find yourself giving an account to him for the way you live. Now, he continues on, and Paul began this argument or this idea over the idea of sexual, sexual immorality, which we've kind of pulled it off into a bigger idea, but he goes on to say this. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. Paul tells us that even when we do something that we know is not right, lie, cheat, steal, we are not thrown away and we are not abandoned. Now, we know how easy it is for us to justify these things in our minds even when we're doing them. Well, God's gonna forgive me anyhow, right?
So as we begin to look at this, Paul is just reminding us, hang on. You need to understand if you're going to begin to clean up your life, you need to understand who your life belongs to and it doesn't belong to you anymore. He has set you free from the past, from those things that control our lives, that get in and and just fill up the garage of our life. That junk that needs to be cleaned out, he came to set us free from. And so ownership, when we begin to understand he owns us, we begin to say, I no longer have the right to begin to fill up that garage with all sorts of stuff that is not helpful. The question is, though, is how do we get started? I mean, we just said, okay, we want to get started. Let's talk about ownership. Now, that's good. That's so good from a theological perspective. I understand he paid a price for me. He, he came, he died. He wants something better for my life. Okay, I get that. He came, he wanted to set me free. He no longer wants me to be held by and condemned by these things as junk in my life. So how do we really get started? I mean, talking about ownership is one thing, but it's really hard to get that practical, isn't it? So today and next week, we're gonna look at really one practical thing that I want you to do this week, okay? You know what the best thing is to help keep your garage clean? You close the door. You don't put any more in. That's where we're gonna start. How do we begin to clean up the garage of our life? How do we begin to clean up our lives, that junk that sits within our, in our lives that begins to continue to spill out where it's not supposed to spill out? That stuff that kind of just, when I don't mean to, I, I kind of spray it out at someone else and I get angry. I start trying to avoid others. I, I just don't want to be around them. They make me, they, they just, how do we begin to deal with it? Begin to close the door. All right. I, can I just say this? This is not intended to be a counseling session. This is intended to be a practical, where do we start? There are times in all of our lives when we may need to get extra help and counseling in certain areas of our life. I'm not trying to go there today. I'm not pretending to go there. What I'm trying to say is this. I believe if we can get hold of this one aspect, it will begin to help us to sort out the mess of our life. There are several verses that begin to deal with this idea. And so I'm gonna just quickly read through three and then we're gonna discuss this real quickly. Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. One of the favorite verses that I have, and I have several of them, and this is one of them. We're told, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Number two, don't be misled. This is found in Galatians chapter six, verse seven. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Okay, one, guard your heart, for out of it, our life is determined. Galatians deals with this idea. Don't don't kid yourselves. What goes into your garage will come out of your garage. What we sow is what we will reap. The things that we think, nobody's gonna see me doing this. They'll come back. And let's look at one more. Philippians chapter four, verse eight. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, and right, and pure, 
and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. In other words, if you don't want junk to come out, don't put junk in. We know this in all areas of our life. I know this about my garage. If I don't want to have to clean out my garage later, guess what the best thing to do is? Don't put the junk in there in the first place. Open up the bin and put in the bin from the start. Let it go where it's supposed to go. But the truth is, is that I have a tendency to say, I might want to do something with this later, and I put it in the garage. If we're going to start getting the garage cleaned up, don't keep putting junk in. Now, what do we mean by that when we talk about our lives? How can we not continue to put junk in? How do we close the garage door of our life not to allow the junk in? Okay, our lives are bombarded by junk every day of our lives. Things we see. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of junk out there on television, internet. I mean, we just goes on magazines that we read. What about television programs that we watch that just fills our minds with, that allows us to feel less than? What about the books that we read? What about the radio shows we listen to? There are certain things that as we hear them, as we listen to, they continue to cause us to feel bad about others or feel bad about ourselves. It adds in to the junk of our lives. We allow others to manipulate our emotions and tell us that what we know is wrong is all right. That make us feel inadequate, that we're not enough. And we allow it and we do it over and over and over again. And we, we just kind of open the door. There comes a time in our life when we need to begin to stop and close the door to our lives. Now, this is something I learned actually several years ago, about four or five years ago. I really had to begin putting this to practice. If you know anything about me, I'm a news junkie. I have got to know what's going on in the news all the time. Well, the problem with the news is that there's not just news people. There are also commentators on the news. You ever found that? People who want to talk to you about now, what does this mean? And I began to find myself consuming a whole lot more of certain things that began to make me feel angry and hurt and not like other people who I am called to like. Who, who are different than I am. And for me, I had to begin to stop listening to certain people commentate about certain things because it was getting me angry, frustrated, upset. In a sense, I had to close the garage door to say, I, know I, can't, I can't let that into my life. I don't know what it is for you. Only thing I know is that we willingly sometimes let too much junk in and it begins to affect what we think about ourselves and how we respond to others. But it's not just about, in fact, when we begin to talk about closing the garage door of our life, not to allow the junk in, it's not as easy to simply say, just stop listening to the radio or stop watching television. I mean, I still listen to the news, by the way. 
I, I still do. I still like to know what's going on. I have that need to feel like I need to know what's happening. And so it's like, okay, I can cut out part of this. I can do this. But there's certain things that come in that are not about. What happens when you have a friend? And let's just say a toxic friend. When you are in a relationship, and I'm not talking about, I'm talking about a friendship relationship with someone who encourages you to do things that you shouldn't do, to go places we shouldn't go, to be involved in certain things we shouldn't be involved in. It's hard to stop and say no to someone who we call a friend, isn't it? Because we just, I mean, I can say no to someone I don't like. If I don't like you, <laughs> talk to the hand. I don't care. But if I like you and you come talk to me, I struggle to say no. I don't like telling my friends. I, I like you. That's why we're friends. And so to say no to you and to say, no, that, that is junk in my life and that's going to hurt me if I allow that in, it's hard to sometimes stop to close that door, isn't it? But there comes a place and a time when sometimes we just have to say, look, I'm, I've got to close that door because it's junk in my life and I'm not trying to, this is not about my friendship. I'm still a friend, but I'm not going to listen to that and I'm going to say no. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to listen to that gossip. I'm not going to whatever it is. I just can't go there because it continues to add junk into my life. Real quickly. Okay, it's easy to stop and turn off a radio, isn't it? It's easy to turn off the internet. It's even, I won't say it's easy, but, but it is manageable to sometimes to say, look, I'm sorry, I can't do that to a friend. What happens when the voice that is screaming out to us is within our own head? You ever tried to close to the, the door on the junk that you tell yourself? That screams out to you? I mean, even the junk that stops that encourages you to do something that you know you shouldn't do and yet you, you can justify it because you've got a good reason why you should do it and someone else shouldn't, shouldn't you? Or, or the junk that sits back in there that, that remains with us that may have been a past from some past remnant where we tell ourselves I'm not good enough, you're just a failure. How do we stop and we close the door on that? You see, if you're gonna to begin to clean up the junk that is in your life, is the same as the junk that goes into my garage. If I'm gonna do it, it's gotta start by not putting any more in. We've got to begin to control what goes into our lives, what we listen to, what we hear, what we watch, what we allow to say who I am. You see, we become controlled by our actions, the things we do, our emotions. And so if we're gonna be set free, and God set us free, and in fact, he says, even when you mess up, and even if you mess up on purpose, I'm still gonna love you, but I've come to save you from that, to set you free from that, so that you no longer have to be controlled by that. And number one, it starts by learning to close the door. I'm not going to allow any more in that doesn't belong 
in the garage. My garage was designed for my car, not for my junk. My life was designed to be set free, not filled full of emotions that make me angry and upset and hurt, trying to avoid others and trying to hide stuff. So, as we close, I'm going to leave you with three questions today. Here's your homework for this week. Number one, what does it mean when I say I follow Jesus? This is just a, a simple question, but here's your homework for the week. Just ask yourself this. What does it mean when I say I'm a follower of Jesus? What does that mean? Just, okay, I'm just, just asking the question. It just gives us something to think about. What does it mean when I say I follow Jesus? Number two, is there something that you willingly watch, listen to, or read that causes you to be angry at others or to feel worse about yourself? Is there something that you're constantly putting in your mind that allows you to feel angry at someone else or feel bad about yourself? Is it something you're reading, watching, listening to that you can shut the door on? And just last question I want to ask you. What is the loudest voice inside you that you need help from God to shut the door on? What is the loudest voice that you hear from yourself that screams at you, that hollers at you, that you need God's help to shut the door on. We're going to begin to clean up the closet of our life, and we're going to be set free. We've got to get our garages cleaned out. Father, this morning, as we get ready to close, Lord, all of us have stuff that controls us, that manipulates us, that gets in the way of a right relationship with you. All of us have been through experiences that have left emotional scars that fall out, that come out. Lord, we're all left with baggage, and I'm not trying to hide from it. But Father, you came to set us free so that we are not controlled by, manipulated by came to set us free so that we may know life so that we may know what joy is so that we may have peace within and Father that's what your death was about that's what it came for so that we are no longer controlled by dominated by our poor choices our bad decisions that which kept us separated from you and so Father to this morning help us learn to follow.